We're actually going to do one of my favorite stories today. This, is, this should be a movie. And maybe somebody's made a movie of it, but I don't know. I don't know about it if they have. When we talk about how we um, got our original Bible, it looks like most of our folk are gone today. You guys could actually clump if you wanted to. I know that'd be dangerous. When I'm asked how we know what the original writing said, when so many made copies and adjusted it with their style, the quick answer is, we check all the manuscripts. We see which ones are the outliers. It's more complicated than that, but let's first answer another question. Where did we get the manuscripts? There are many stories, but I want to share one story with you as an example of how this happens. Let's do the next slide, please. One of the most fascinating is about a young man named Constantine or Constantin van Tischendorf. He was a genius and wanted to apply his genius to one big goal, and that is getting the oldest manuscripts of Scripture so that we could know exactly what they said. Because by the time of Constantine, in the 1800s, there were various versions of Scripture that disagreed with each other, sometimes rather severely. And there were, edit, there were edits and there were, um, there were passages omitted, and therefore it was important to get a better manuscript. This is well after, 200 years after, the King James Version. But the King James Version, even by that time, had been revised repeatedly. How can we find better manuscripts? So he wanted to go on a search. I'm going to take you to St. Catherine's, and then I'm going to back you up. He was traveling with a camel caravan as he came to the walls of the monastery of St. Catherine. Remember St. Catherine's? We talked about her last week. Uh, this is in Egypt by what is traditionally understood as Mount Sinai. Um, I'm trying to get ahead of the story, and I don't want to get ahead of the story. Tischendorf had an amazing quick mind. He was only 29 years old. He had already mastered several ancient languages. Please understand how difficult that is. Some ancient languages have still not been deciphered. And yet he did a double handful of them, and he was the guy that deciphered them. He also had a mission, reconstruct the New Testament. Make sure we have as close as possible to the original form and words. The walls of St. Catherine's were over 30 feet high for protection against marauding bands of nomadic tribesmen and the vagaries of local rulers who would sometimes allow the Christians to be in peace and other times attack them and kill them. So to be a monastery, you also had to be a fort. And these monks had been there for a very, very, very long time. The Copts, C-O-P-T-S, are one of the oldest Christian groups on the planet. And these are Copts. After spending a lot of time at the bottom of these walls, presenting his credentials into a basket that would then go up, and then he had noble people with him, that knew him, could vouch for him, and they would go up in a basket, and they would talk and argue with the people inside that this guy is okay, he's safe. This went on for some time, 
Finally, he was hauled over the walls while astride a crossbar. He just a bar down there and you straddle it and hold on to the rope. And they pulled him up. But to him, this was just one more stop on a very long journey. He had already published a Greek New Testament in 1841. But he'd been so frustrated by the poor quality of the manuscripts. By the amount of times you had to guess. By the amount of times you had to guess what the word was because there, was, there were holes. Or what the word was because he had five or six manuscripts and they all disagreed. He decided to set himself a life course. Visit all of the best libraries of Europe. Copy their best manuscripts. And back then, remember, there are no photocopies. You copied them by hand. And then make comparisons between them. So he started in Paris. He had no money. This is really important. And you have to pay people to do this because they have to eat. So he decided the only way to get funding was to do something nobody had been able to do. So he went to Paris with him and found a manuscript that was very famous, the Ephraim Manuscript. That is a copy of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, made way back in the 400s. Problem is, it used an ancient script, not very well known. Other problem, it had been erased. They'd been scraped it, then turned it the other side, and a guy named Ephraim had written his sermons on it. So now, to read it, you see how difficult this is? You have to figure out what's under the bold print and what it says. And, and it's, you don't, have, you don't have instruments to do this except your own eyes. Well, one thing Constantin van Tischendorf had were incredibly sharp eyes. He poured over this using only his eyes, uncovered the writing, made an accurate copy of it, presented it to the scholars of his day, and they came and tried to find a mistake and could not find a mistake he had made. They were blown away as they should have been. That brought Tischendorf such fame, he now had money. And he funded his journey to go to all of the best European libraries out there. And there are many. I don't know, if you've traveled Europe, have you gone to one of the libraries? They are amazing. The British Library in and of itself you can literally spend um, two days walking, just walking to pass all of, the, not reading anything, just walking two days to pass all of the stuff in there. If you want to stop and read anything, that's the rest of your life. He uncovered and translated manuscripts that were all but forgotten. He found them. He was very persistent. And he would talk to people who knew a person who knew a person who might have seen something that had been tucked back in a janitorial closet, and he'd go for it. After he'd found everything he could find, he still had issues with the, with the text. So he decided it was time to go to the east, to what we would today call the Mideast, Egypt, Sinai, Palestine. There was no Israel at that time. You remember that? That was just Palestine. Patmos in Constantinople. What was Constantinople's old name? Istanbul. Try to remember that, because you can get confused if you don't. Uh, thank you, whoever knew that. He chronicled his journey in a book called Travels in the East. You can still get that book on Amazon 
but it's not cheap. I went and had a look this week to see if I could recommend it to you. I think the paperback is about 40-something bucks. And it's going to be written in an 1800s literature style. So you've been warned. But it's still there. He knew going into the east was dangerous. Why? There were no nations there at that time. There were tribes. One of the problems, by the way, in case you're wondering, why can't the people over there get along with each other? A lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is the British. Sorry. The Americans helped. Every, after every war and conflict, we decided to redraw the maps. And you're now Iraq. But wait a minute. Our people don't like their people. Our people like the people over there. Nope, that's Iran. That's a border now. But then our people, no, that's, that's Syria. And we drew boxes around people that didn't belong with each other, that were tribal, not national. That has been what happened. If you're wondering, why can't we train the Iraqis to be an army? Because they don't consider themselves to be Iraqis. Try to find an Iraqi that considers themselves Iraqi. They don't. I'm Sunni, or I'm Shia, uh, or I belong to this family, or I belong to that family. They don't consider themselves a nation. That's why many nations have conquered Afghanistan only to realize that they can't. They've blown it apart. The British did it in a horrible war. Rudyard Kipling wrote articles about that. Uh, the, the Americans tried. The Russians tried. Do you remember the Russians trying? If there's no nation, there's nobody to surrender and therefore, that's why they drop their weapons and run. It's because, well, I'm not dying for something I'm not. You know, would you die for the kingdom of Macedonia? There's no such thing. It's a, it's a republic now. But, see, it tricked you. You wouldn't anyway, right? Because you're thinking, what, what do I know from Macedonia? That's a problem. So he's going right in the middle of all of this. No protection. No protection at all. Dangerous stuff. In fact, it was so dangerous, his bro- he wrote his brother a goodbye letter. He said, I'm going for a noble cause, to hunt for forgotten storerooms of manuscripts so that the world could be certain we have the world- word of God. And it was a farewell letter. 29, he goes. At St. Catherine's, he's up in there now. Look how wild and barren that area is. He was given an apartment. That means a room. And remember this, in standard English, British English, what you call a flat, a series of rooms within a large, is, uh, what you call an apartment is a flat. And what you call a room is an apartment. And so he was given one room and told he could have access to any books in the library. He was in heaven. They were brought to him one by one, and he wasn't in heaven. They were mainly useless. They were a horrible condition, they had holes in them and the like. And then a basket of scrolls was brought in. And this basket was in terrible condition. Are we on slide seven? I forget where we are. Are we? Okay. I think we are. Uh, A librarian told him that these were of no value. These were useless manuscripts. They said, in fact, they're in a basket because they sit by the fireplace. These are set aside for kindling. Ancient manuscripts... They had been burning them for their tea. Okay. Picking them up, Tischendorf was astonished to find that some of them 
were books of the New Testament written in the oldest Greek he had ever seen in his life. These were the oldest copies of the New Testament in the world, and they've been burning them, not being able to read them. Now, if you're thinking, how in the world? I wrote names of books for uh, a young man who wanted some names of books, but I made an error, was not thinking, I wrote, I wrote it in cursive. When I handed it to the young man, and my handwriting's not atrocious, he was unable to read it because he had never been taught to read cursive. If you are under 20, you don't know how to read cursive. That means the Declaration of Independence to you may as well be in Greek. You cannot decipher it. Do you realize how quickly things have moved on? There were no iPhones until 2007. They've been with us nine years. And think of how everything has changed. And so that's how quickly things can go out of date. They couldn't read them. They read Coptic, Syriac. They read Egyptian. They didn't read this. To them, this was nothing. Tischendorf called for all of the leaves, but he was only given 43 sheets because they got suspicious of him. He might be a thief. Remember, they've been living within these walls for uh, about over a 1,000 years they've been in that area, uh, and they have been under attack the entire time. Thieves have tried to get in, and now they're going, he seems too excited. Something is, you know, and so they only gave him 43. That's a third of what they had. The rest had already been lost for fire. His excitement over them made them so suspicious that they might steal his books, they wouldn't bring him anymore. They're, no, no. We need to get this guy out of here. He begged them, please don't burn them. Please. And then he was sent away. They told him, go away. We don't want you here. He published his findings in Europe because he had copied as much of the 43 as he could. But he refused to state where he found them because he didn't want people to go take over the monastery. And, and because people steal stuff and they sell it, you don't want to... Tell him where you found it. Um, nine years later, he got the money to go. Think of it. Nine years later, he gets the money to go back to St. Catherine's, another try. He finally gets lifted over the walls only to find out nobody can remember where they put them because the people that he interacted with had died or other things had happened. And it was like, now, where did I put the oldest manuscript of the New Testament? Just thinking about that the other day. Nobody had any idea. They'd forgotten they were important. And before you think of them as idiots, most people forget the Bible's important. Like us, some days. So, crestfallen, he said, I'll just read whatever you gave, give me. Um, and they gave him mainly rubbish. Uh, they, didn't, they couldn't read it. They didn't know it was rubbish. But he reads it and he goes, this isn't it, this isn't it. So one day, a more modern book was handed to him, and he thought, well, this is of no use, but there's a bookmark in it. He pulled out the bookmark, and he recognized this had been cut out of one of the leaves of the book he had read nine years ago, same handwriting, same scribe. They're using it as a bookmark. They cut it, but he knew something. He knew if he acted excited, he would never find where the others were. They told him it was time for him to leave. He left. He's stubborn, 
back in Europe, he published, the, he find, he, and he finally said, I've, I found them at St. Catherine's. Here's a publication of the 43 pages. And he said, there's another 86 leaves out there somewhere. Well, the Tsar of Russia, Alexander II, fine figure of a man there, military uniform, Tischendorf's on the other side, but at that time, that's what he looked like then, sent him back to see if he could just find a clue. I'll fund you, send him back. By the way, the reason Tsar uh, of Russia did that was Tischendorf was nominally Russian, and he had taken this as a gift to King Alexander. Uh, I'm sorry, Tsar Alexander II. So the guy decided to give him money. So 15 years after his first trip, he goes right back again to St. Catherine's. It's amazing he was alive. The Berbers, the Tuaregs, the, the different tribes of that area, it's amazing he was still alive. He was allowed, once again, he was remembered this time to have access to the library, but it was a disheveled mess of rotting books, scrolls and pieces, shabby and broken. One of the reasons was, even if a shelf where the scrolls were broke and dumped the scrolls, they weren't allowed to fix the shelf. Because like in most places in the world, you have to have a government permit to fix anything. Anything. A broken pipe, whatever. And because this had been run by Muslims since the 800s, and some of the Muslim rulers, by the way, had been very kind to the cops. Let's be honest. Let's be very open about this. Some of them had been a lot nicer to the Christians than a lot of Christians were to Christians. But then you would get the next guy, and he would be hateful to the Christians. Hundreds of years, they had not been allowed to fix anything. No permits. If they were caught fixing it, the army would come, and they would be done. So it's all broken and laying there. After a while, he became certain he would never find the 86 missing pages. At 45 years, he was running out of time. Now, if that surprises you, please remember, in the 1800s, the lifespan average until 1900 in England was 46 years. So he was running out of time. On the 4th of February, 1859, he told his Bedouin caravanners, be ready to leave on the 7th. Start making provision. I'm done. So then he went on a walk through the monastery when a steward, think semi-accountant, semi-janitor, a steward of the monastery, asked him to come to his room for tea. So as they spoke of Tischendorf's work, the steward casually said, well, I too have read a Septuagint. And... He almost hear Tichendorf going, what? You have? He took down a bulky volume from a shelf in the room, wrapped up in red cloth, handed it to him. To his shock, there were the 86 leaves, plus the Old Testament, plus the Apocrypha. He had it all now. Remembering his mistake 15 years ago, he acted like, oh, this is nothing. You know, well, it's semi-interesting in a boring kind of way. He, he, he was really, he played it very cool. He knew if the monks uh, thought he was interested, they, they'd keep him away. That's what they did. So he casually asked, could I just, I'm only going to be here a day or two, can I go to my sleeping room and just look at this, maybe help me fall asleep? And the guy said, sure. 
So at 8 o'clock that night, he went to his room, fell to his knees, thanked God, prayed for God for help, and worked through the night, and in one night translated the Epistle of Barnabas, a long lost book that the early church considered part of Scripture, but had been lost to Christianity for 1,400 years. We're going to look at that next summer, if I'm still with you, and we go back to the lost books of the Bible. The Epistle of Barnabas, not the Gospel of Barnabas. The Gospel of Barnabas is easy to find. It is a complete fake. Uh, and every historian will tell you that. The Epistle of Barnabas, totally different book. And was considered uh, scripture by Clement, Eusebius, many of the early writers. All right, moving on. So excited. Tischendorf asked for permission to copy the entire book. And he was given permission. But he said, I can't do it here. I need more reference books and more scholars to help me. Um, they, they said, no. He said, I won't take it out of the country. Can I take it to Cairo? They said, no. He said, who can give me permission? They said, only the abbot. Where's the abbot? In Cairo, on a visit. So he set out immediately for Cairo, where he got the abbot's permission, got letters written, sent writers back, and then they finally got it, and they, uh, they went ahead and they sent it to Cairo. Twelve days later, it arrived with the help of two assistants who knew Greek. Let's see, we're, we should be on slide 11, if you're counting down. There we are. This is what they look like with uh, assistance of two, uh, I'm sorry, with the help of two, the assistance of two assistants. Wow, sounds, with the help of two assistants who knew Greek. Tischendorf and crew copied and checked 110,000 lines of Greek. They checked each other's work repeatedly. So many other marks were on the paper, including corrections, that it was excruciatingly difficult, blinding headaches. People had worn their eyes out to the point where they were putting bombs and salves on their eyes at night in the few hours that they slept. It took two months in a stifling heat of a Cairo apartment. And they finally had identified, marked, and logged every single, not just, they hadn't just translated it, that identified, marked, and logged by their stylings every writer who had ever written on it since then, making additions, copies, and notes. These guys were scholars that blow my mind. There are times that people look at me and they'll say, oh, Patrick, you're smart, you've got degrees, this, that, and the other. People... I know people through literature like this, but I also know people in science that make me look like a second grader who's slow. And Tischendorf was one of these people. I am in awe of these people. Well, by the way, I need to bring up something here because you need to honor to whom honor is due. Most of this material that I'm presenting to you today, I found was well summarized by Neil Lightfoot in his How We Got the Bible. So I need to give him credit for that, and I meant to do that at the very beginning. I apologize. Neil Lightfoot did that scholarship. I'm, I'm relating to the story because it's a real thick book if you don't do it. His book is not, and it's very well written. So Neil Lightfoot, how we got the Bible. Back to the story. Titian, here's the problem. They needed the, the original manuscript longer than they were allowed to have it. So he made a bargain. If the monks give it to Tsar Alexander, he would bestow on them a great gift. They hadn't figured out what that was going to be yet. 
It was a hard sale, but they finally agreed if he gave his word that when they wanted it back, they could have it back. They'd let it go. Think of how much Tischendorf had to win their trust. A very suspicious people. He took it to Europe. He was not done blessing the world. He wanted to publish the Codex. I cannot stress to you how stunning that is. Are you aware that most of the Dead Sea Scrolls have not been published? The reason is, every scholar that has them, this is their career. This is their place in history. And they guard it like dogs and will not let others have it until there was a guy that is one of the, the guys that um, does the biblical archaeology review who took pictures of all the scrolls and then published the pictures so that everybody could have access to them. And the lawsuits lasted nearly 20 years. But now that they're out there, they're being translated. Well, Tischendorf didn't play any of those games. He said, this is God's gift to us. I'm publishing. And so as soon as he got it, he had to make an exact copy. That meant you had to cut individual wooden blocks in new letter shapes to look exactly like the Greek in this. In heaven. Meticulously cut all of those and then set the type and then print the page and then reset a type and print the page. This takes forever. Every letter perfectly copied. The space between the letters perfectly copied. Even the color, I'm sorry, the, um, the position and the slant of the alterations. He published it with all of the extra stuff in it so that nobody could say he had doctored it or changed it in any way. Even the color of the ink, which is mainly red and brown, even the color of the paper, he insisted, be the same. So they had to treat the paper. This was an amazing gift to the world. And you should know the name of Konstantin van Tischendorf. That, in two years' time, it took two years, all of that minutia, the printing was finished by the spring of 1862. In the fall of that year, 300 copies were presented to the Tsar, who in turn sent out gifts to uh, the scholars of the world and the libraries of the world to make sure that it was never in one place again. It was always available to the world. In case you're wondering, the, the czar and the monks came to terms on the gift. Uh, it would be 9,000 rubles and then medals for certain monks. I have no idea what that is in today's money. I tried to look it up, and I just don't have the sources to be confident. Tischendorf knew that the old, oldest manuscripts found of that day were these. And he believed that the Gospels were absolutely legitimate. And I find that that, I will take his word. Do you know what I mean by that? The guy that knows the oldest, or knew the oldest manuscripts found to date, complete manuscript, found to date, believed that we had the word of God in written form. That we did not need to question, are these really the gospels? These are they. Because he went back and checked also the writings of the early church and found that they matched what had been found. He also believed that if the church taught anything, he wrote about this extensively, if the church teaches anything about Jesus that is not in the ancient gospels, 
or did not teach what was found there, it must repent and the church should change, not the scripture. He was one of the first to state that the church should change, not the scripture. That kind of sounds like a Church of Christ guy there, doesn't he? Except we weren't over where he was. Today, in the British Library, which used to be the British Museum, they changed names, is the Sinaitic Manuscript, the real one, the original. You see, it arrived in England in December 1933. 33, sorry. Scottish, 33. When the English government bought it from Russia for about a half million dollars in today's money. That one I knew. I know how to convert pounds and shillings and ducats and the like. So it was about a half million dollars. They bought it from Russia because Russia was really hurting in, the 19, in 1933. If you remember, they were also an atheist state. They had no interest in the book. And so if they could get money for it, um, they got it. It arrived with an official delegation from Russia. It was greeted by hundreds of royals, leaders, dignitaries, and scholars. When it was brought from the taxi, I don't want you to think of a yellow cab here. This would be like a, a, a big carriage. Uh, that was, they would call that the taxi. When it was brought, every man there took off their hat and stood in solemn reverence for the oldest copy of the Bible ever. And it's not a copy of the Sinaitic manuscript. It's the real one that was found and put back together by Konstantin van Tischendorf, and you can go see it. And it is not behind so many panes of glass that you can't see it. You can get a lot closer to it than you are right now. You can get right up to it. And if you're a scholar, they will even come in. I don't know why they do this. I wouldn't, but they will even come and turn a leaf for you so that you can read another section. The British have done that one right. They have made it open. It and the Vatican Codex are the two best witnesses to our New Testament. So when people say to me, how do you know you have the book? I smile and tell them a story, if they'll hang about for a while, of a very persistent young man named Konstantin van Tischendorf. But there's more. Last slide today. Our class is going to end a little bit earlier than I was expecting, but I'll take questions if you want them. Otherwise, you can um, go catch the game before it starts. Because I know Titans is, are important. May 26th, 1975. Another discovery was made at St. Catherine's. A fire had caused some damage, so some rooms that had fallen in hundreds of years ago, not allowed to be repaired, were cleared and as they were opened up, the debris swept out. In one of the rooms were found hundreds of manuscripts as old as the Sinaitic Codex. Many of these are scripture, but a great deal are other books. A few of these have been examined and published. The vast majority have not yet been. The abbot of the monastery says the translation continues and that when they're published, it'll be the monastery that publishes them. They're holding on pretty tight. Until then, we wait. Well, I've got your attention, assuming I do. Translation continues apace, but it is so slow. We, just, we have had for over 100 years stacks of documents and um, bits of dried clay with writing on them from libraries in Babylon. 
We've had it for well over 100 years that were just finally figured out and translated in 2009. Now think of that. We've had them. We just haven't been able to figure out what they said or we didn't have the manpower to do it. We're finding out for the first time since it happened well before the life of Jesus what life was like in Babylon for Jews because a lot of these documents they just published were documents of families, Jewish families, doing business, marrying, burying, and making their way in Babylon during the captivity. And we're just now learning it. But here's the cool thing. Nothing we've learned in this new stuff contradicts anything we've read in our scripture. It gives you confidence, does it not? So I'm hoping as we go through this that you see the Bible be putting together and that as we question this or that about this or that text that you don't feel that we're throwing your Bible away. No. As you're about to find, people died to make sure you could read this. And some of them went through the most horrible tortures because they fought to make sure you could have this. And we'll start those stories as we progress past the formation of the canon next week. How did we figure out the books and where was that done to put them back in? And then we're going to take a look at the translations and then we hit the story of translating it into the common language of the people and what happened when that happened and all the intrigue. Those are several adventure movies too, almost like born material. All right, any questions or comments? Yes. Excellent question. If it is so hard to translate, why aren't more people being trained to translate it? The answer is very simple and very sad. There's no money. We will... Can I just... Can I prove to you that, that America is insane? Right? I can do this. I can do this in four words. Kim Kardashian is famous. Now, I have nothing against Kim, don't know her, may not recognize her if I saw her on the street, although I have seen pictures from time to time. Um, I'm not sure what she's contributed to society. And yet, filthy rich. I could have done the same with Paris Hilton or a whole bunch of Hollywood or politician types, could I not? We won't pay salaries. I mean, people graduate with degrees in ancient languages and can't get a job. They just can't. If somebody comes to you and says, I have a master's degree in English, and I would like to start in management here, you will look at them and say, you're not really qualified for that. You're qualified to read our brochure, uh, maybe spice it up a bit. If somebody has studied for 20, 30 years, cuneiform, the little triangle-shaped language of Sumer, uh, Sumer rather, and, and Babylon, how much, you, how much are you willing to give out of your paycheck next week for them to eat and send their kids to college? The answer is, we don't. Therefore, there are not enough people to do it. And that's sad, but it's true. I mean, I'd love to be an archaeologist. You can't make a living being an archaeologist. There are only about 18 jobs, it seems like, on the planet. I'm making that number up completely. But there are just a few numbers that will the, the, do that. What else? Any other? Yeah. 
That's an excellent question, and I'm not sure I have all the answer to it. I do know that it is stored safely and in the room. You have to, you, there's a certain protocol about entering the room. And they, and yeah, it's a clean room, exactly. You know the term. Um, I believe it's even and got negative atmosphere. Do you know what that means? When you open the door, air goes out instead of in. And so, yeah, there are rules, but I'm, I'm not sure I know all the rules. It's not like America. In America, and they do it well in America, it's behind thick glass and they have, what is it, argon or something that they put in there? Yes, JC. There was a time when they have 75 years. I'm just astounded by the timeline Right. It, it astounds me too. He was saying that 100 years seemed a lot longer until he lived 74. I get that. Um, it is astounding that wanting to restore the original text and doing textual studies and variants wasn't even a thing till the 1600s. And it didn't catch fire till the 1900s. And we haven't found a lot of stuff. We didn't find a lot of stuff until the 18 and 1900s. And if, in case you're wondering, yes, we're still finding stuff. But right now the problem is authenticating what you find. Because there, there, are, there are false things made. And so you, get, you do get for, forgeries. And there are a whole court system set up in uh, Israel to um, prosecute fakes and prosecute people that sell stuff they're not allowed to, process, to sell. So it, it's, a, it's a mess. Yes? That's a great question. He says, with the advancement of computers, is that helping? Immensely. Because we can take pictures of something and then run it through software programs, and we can break it down. And also, we can... Now, not this one, but think of the Ephraim manuscript that we had earlier that was a mess. We can bombard it with different kind of lights. And I'm a little sad to say this. They've actually bombarded some of the sheets with chemicals, chemical agents. And what they found so far was Tichendorf didn't make a mistake. Uh, and that's all the more astounding whenever you realize we have to do this with computers and almost microscopes, magnifying plates, whereas he did it with his eyes. Yes, Dale. Oh, I put up there when he died. I can't remember. But, but he didn't live much longer. Uh, there, thank you so much. Well done. Uh, 50, 59. He was my age um, when he died. And so that would have been... 74, 74. And they do that. Maybe go back to my notes. I don't want to, because by the way, I am, um, I am fact-checked on the internet. <laughs> there are people that, they live for this. Uh, 15 years after the first one, he returned to 40, Okay, his last trip there was 1859. That's where he found the, the other pages. And so he spent the next 19 or so years of his life putting it together and... Um, 
Then he traveled and gave lectures, basically. But he also tried to train other people to do what he did. I'm, I'm, I, have no indica- I have no information on how well that went. I, I should. That's a fascinating thing. Any other questions? I hope you're enjoying this. At least today it wasn't a data dump. You had a story. Yay. So tell those that were here earlier and fled the data that we get stories now. All right? And then a cup of tea and a wee cuddle. Uh, Cuddle yourselves. Anyway, cheerio. Go away.